welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. For this month's off-week blowout extravaganza podcast, we'll be discussing Season 48's three most recent episodes, hosted by Aubrey Plaza, Jake from State Farm, and Pedro Pascal. I'm Catherine Coleman, and I'm joined this week by podcast staple Steve Finn, as well as New York-based comedy writer and actor Misha Kaz. You can follow Kaz at Misha Kaz. And if you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter at SNL Podcast. You can also go to patreon.com slash SNL Podcast to get early access to all of our Season 48 coverage. It's our patrons who make this show possible, and we are so thankful to everyone who's come on board. All right, here we go. Oh, hello, hello. Welcome to 2023. How's it going, Steve? It's going so wonderful. And what I say, that was one of the most flawless intros I've ever heard. First uh, take, one hit wonder. <laughs> I don't miss John's three or four tries per, <laughs> per episode. So this, this is nice. You know, some, yeah. of us are prof- some of us are professionals and some of us aren't. It's just, you know, how it is. Sorry, that's um, just what was on my mind while I was sitting here listening. <laughs> Uh, well, Steve, I'd like to introduce you to my friend Kaz. Kaz, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here at long last. Hello, Finally. Kaz. Hi, nice to meet you. At long, <laughs> yes, that's right. Okay. Oh, oh other hand. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll get it in post. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Kaz has been uh, he's been on the list to get on the show for a while, uh, and here we are. I've known Kaz for a long time. Scott, Kaz and I took Sketch 201 and 301 at UCB together. Back in like 2017, 2018. Uh, and then we've we've been on a sketch team together. I've directed that now I'm the director of that sketch team. Uh, we've worked together quite extensively. Uh, he's one of my just most frequent collaborators. Like if, if I write a sketch and I'm like, who's the first person that, that needs to read this to give me notes? It's it's nine times out of ten, it's Kaz. Uh, he, he's he's very talented, very smart, and uh, I'm I'm thrilled to see what you what you bring to the SNL podcast, Kaz. Are you excited? Thank you. Yeah, nine times out of ten, I'm reading it. How often am I cast? Well, that's a different story. But uh, <laughs> Hey, you but, uh, got the coveted role of Cousin Vern uh, and Mike Small High Plains. So. Listen, there's nothing better than playing a, a, an, you know, an aeronaut pervert. So I, I'm very happy to have that role. But no, uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm really excited. I think you're going to have a great... Great thoughts and really smart observations about these sketches. But just to uh, just to get the the listeners acquainted with you and your comedic stylings, why don't you like regale us with you know a few of your favorite SNL sketches or eras or you know whatever. Um, I mean, I grew up in the in the nineties as a child. Um, I was, <laughs> and then I put away childish things. But at the time, I, I did when I was a kid. I, I watched a lot of the SNL like. On Comedy Central, they had those SNL compilations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was too young to stay up to watch it. But I'd be watching all of the, you know, like, honestly, I think probably one of my biggest inspirations out of of comedy from SNL would be Chris Farley, uh, which is a surprise to nobody if you've <laughs> seen me uh, do. Well, Mark Poppins, if you watch that, that's essentially mm-hmm. that sketch. That's essentially me being trying to channel an eight, like a crumb of what Chris Farley ever <laughs> offered the world. Um, I mean, I would say that that era, probably one of my favorites. And then, of course, being a teenager in the 2000s, we're going with like the Will Ferrell, you know, Andy Samberg, 
uh, you know, Lonely Island kind of era of of SNL. I would say those two for me are are probably uh, two of the biggest. Then, of course, you know, you, you love some of the classics too. You know, like Eddie Murphy and 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 all the you know the the original cast, of course, as well. You know, um, this sounds very vague in general, but honestly, I do. Like I said, yeah. I grew up watching a lot of these like clips and stuff. So for me, it was all just kind of like yeah. mashed together and whatever whatever Comedy Central deemed appropriate for uh, three p.m. on a school day. That's what I was uh, <laughs> dating myself with. Can definitely definitely see the Farley influence in your performances. You're a very physical comedian. Thank you. Uh, and yeah, definitely a, a more of a surrealist writer. I would say a little bit more cerebral yeah. in the writing. Yeah, Chris Farley, well known as a cerebral writer, so right, right there with him. All right. <laughs> um, well, uh, I, I I trust you. I think you know your SNL. So let's jump in. All right, we're going to start with episode 10, which is Aubrey Plaza hosted. Mm. Now, let's uh, let's start off. Let's talk generally about the host. I think a lot of people were really excited for Aubrey to host, especially considering her NBC page past. Um, Steve, were you, were you excited when you saw this announcement? Did you have high expectations for the episode? Absolutely. And it's almost like a Mandela effect where you would be like, she's hosted before, hasn't she? <laughs> It just feels like someone who would have, you, you would think she would have hosted sooner, but right. I guess it just, whatever, uh, whatever project she was involved with, somebody else would be hosting. I mean, yeah. So I, I, I could have sworn this already happened, but even so it, it kind of goes the way you would, you would think like, uh, I, I, w- I would have predicted like the whole angle of, of using the page jacket and throwing that on and doing a tour. I mean, if you asked me to like pitch a monologue, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably what like I would come up with after racking my brain. It, it just feels right given her history. And uh, yeah, it, it seemed like there is some real, you know, some real world jokes in there that were tied with like the cast and her actual history with the show. So it was really sweet to see. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, we we already know she's an excellent performer, um, and she uh, continued to kill it throughout the whole night. It was absolutely a winner episode. Yeah, I uh, I was really excited about Aubrey hosting. I think she she has a very specific sense of humor, and she's got the chops. She's got the sketch bona fides. She's a UCB veteran, uh, and I thought she would bring something really great to the show. And Ultimately, I was actually a little let down, not by her. I think she gave a great performance, but I don't know. I thought the sketch fair fell a little short of my personal expectations of what I wanted to see. But Aubrey, I think, was a great pick, and I would I would love to see her, you know, come back and bring that energy and that uh, her point of view to the show again. Uh, Kaz, what did you think of Aubrey? No, I I agree. I think like she is incredible. I think we just had to wait for her to enter the blonde era. You know, we're ushering in the new <laughs> Aubrey, so we're bringing her on SNL. You know, only once in a lifetime do you make a, a classic like Emily the Criminal. So we got to make get that out there. Um, yeah, I Which thought is that funny she because in my brain, she was promoting the White Lotus. But I guess, yeah, there's some other show that she's in. Yeah. You know, just a movie <laughs> that she produced. Not a big deal. Uh, I, um, I, I, I really was. I love her. I, I know one after Parks and Rec. I think the next thing I really saw her in was like um, a Legion. Which was totally not, you know, that was like a Marvel, like dark, uh, like psychological thriller, kind of like almost horror thing. And she's totally playing, you know, with what they would say, like straight, you know what I mean? There's no comedic thing in there, you know? So I think she's been just stretching her chops and now she's coming back to comedy through the, through the, um, uh, her spot on SNL. 
Um, I was really excited to see that. I do agree. I think the sketches, the sketch fair fell a little short of what I was, what I was hoping for. Um, I was hoping they would touch even on her. Like what I was really hoping for was maybe a sketch that touched a little more on like the, the witchiness that she likes to bring uh, that she's always talking about. I think that would have been a really fun thing. Um, But yes, I think she's incredible. I think if you want, you know, in the black Lotus sketch, you know, you can see her absolutely commit to that character, (laughs) a character that's completely, I suppose it's not totally outside of her herself, but, but also that's not a sort of um, personality that you see her portray ever, you know, and then she's bringing that in for, for the, for the, for, for, for SNL. I was, you know, like you said, I think she brought her a game, you know, she elevated everything that she was given. Yeah. All right. Well, we've picked a couple sketches from this one to discuss. So let's talk, let's dive into some specifics here. Up first is the Miss Universe pageant. And Steve, this one, this one was you. Why'd you pick it? I just thought it, it was worth noting as, as an example where SNL just decides to pick something out of, out of like, you know, you know, the viral zeitgeist and say, this is, uh, you know, wasn't this funny and, and do like the bare minimum with it to make a full sketch out of it. Cause a lot of this is just like one-to-one adaptation of, of basically doing an impression of this viral video. Mm-hmm. The, the extras would be like Keaton's part, the, the, the questions, but you know, the main meat of this is just like almost plagiarism. You could call it if it wasn't, <laughs> no, if, it, if it wasn't, if it was fictional in the first place. Um, it's funny though. Cause like, I didn't realize that this was so huge. Cause I did see it on Twitter and I saw it while I was at work and watched it on mute. So <laughs> I just saw like, that loses all the magic right there. <laughs> yeah. I just saw a bunch of like, you know, beautiful women going, and uh, and and I read the caption and said the way she says Fred Freds is hilarious. So like I knew Freds was the crazy one. Uh, I was aware of the concept, and then like seeing it on SNL made me realize, oh, this was <laughs> this was actually quite a big thing. Uh, but yeah, I I I just I just like when SNL goes there. There's there's a rare time where they feel like you know a lot of this sketch can just you know, be what we saw and what we found funny about the moments. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, it, so in the video, I saw it. Only, only one of them yells, right? Or do they all yell? <laughs> I mean, they're all v- very in the real video, in the real video. Okay. F- Fred's is the only one that sounds like too much. Okay. Okay. That's what I thought. Okay. Uh, so yeah, they're all kind of excited and yelling. <laughs> but yeah, but then the one is like, sc- like a like a guttural scream almost. Yeah. Okay, so okay, I'm just making sure I was remembering correctly. So like they did heighten that part, and that they are all like much more unhinged. Whereas in right. the real video, they're like, I don't know, sort of normal pageant, and then crazy. Um. So yeah, I don't know. I I thought this was this was okay. Like it's it's based on like the viral video, uh, where you know the one girl screams inexplicably and I can see why they want to parody that. And I, and I do like it. I agree, Steve, when they, cause it's easy for them to want to shy away from like the viral thing that people have already taken, you know, talked about. 
but I like it when they try to take a, like an original stab at it and when they have the chance to do that because often like as fast as the cycle goes now they sometimes like even though SNL's weekly like they don't even get the chance mm-hmm. so I don't know I, I, I did like that they did this but there were just like some major structural issues to the sketch that left me scratching my head like um like number one is like the base reality of the sketch sort of threw me off of like because it comes back to why are okay why are they all yelling like I felt like there should have just been the one that's screaming and the rest of them are like normal. Uh, and like, I, I realize it's, it's sort of tropey to do like normal, normal, not, but like it, it works. Um, so like I, to me, it, it felt like it should have started with the one, you know, France screams France. And then they up the ante to where like, like I loved the joke about like, where do you see yourself in five years? And then Denmark says dead. Um, like, I think that's very funny, but I would have just loved to see that just with France. And so like the other girls give normal answers and then France. And maybe by the end, she starts to pee in a pod them. Like she starts to rope them into her craziness. But I thought it started so high with them all yelling that it sort of didn't leave them a lot of places to go. And then you get to where Keenan asked the question and he even says like, I don't know why this is the question, but what's your favorite TV episode? And I was like, no, hold on. Why are the people writing the questions crazy too? Why can't we just ask what's your favorite TV show and then let the crazy one go on like an unhinged synopsis? You know, like, I don't know. I just, it felt to me like they wanted everyone to be crazy and only Keenan was like the voice of reason, um, which can work. But for me in this one, it, I just felt it could have been a little stronger if they had focused more on one of the girls mm. um, having that, um, you know, yeah. being the heightened one. <laughs> I yeah. should say that while France is the only one that's quote unquote too much, they all come off a little bit unhinged in well, the original they're pageant video. Girls, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think this is where they get the idea for a lot of it because mm-hmm. I think a lot of what is happening here is them just going beyond the direction they're given. <laughs> right. Which is what I think what happened. Cause like whoever was, you know, early in that roll call, they decide to go really big. And this being a competition, no one wanted to be outdone. So it was kind of (laughs) like a snowball um, effect. But but they did make the um, France be a little crazier in that everybody's yelling their answers. France is only yelling France the whole time. (laughs) Any question you ask France, it's France. I think, except for maybe the last, there's one where they, you know, um, uh, twisted it. But otherwise, you're pretty much just hearing France! Every answer, right. which, I, which was their kind of way to heighten it. Also, going back to, was it Denmark? Um, I love the callback where it was, they were dead from a parachute accident. And then their talent was <laughs> parachuting. Yeah. yeah, that was, that was uh, really good. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so like, yeah, so Steve, but, Steve, you, or you both sort of feel like my complaint is actually them being more true to the video, um, which, which I guess is fair. Well, I think the one-to-one fair thing, enough. I think the one-to-one thing isn't that far out for SNL, though. I mean, if you think, like, one of the big hits that SNL had for doing that was Tina Fey as Sarah Palin, where she literally just read what Sarah Palin said, mm-hmm. at yeah. doing a Sarah Palin impression, and that heightened it enough where people were like, yeah, this person is not serious. Like, Sarah Palin is not serious. And that, mm-hmm. you know, completely derailed her, helped derail the uh, uh, McCain campaign. You know, so I think, like, that's just something in the snl uh what do they call it toolbox you know what i mean that sometimes they'll just yeah. be like this is weird right we're just going to show it to you again with actors so you understand how weird it is you know right. we're moving yeah. it one step from reality i think an issue is it feels a little undercooked for snl where something of this um 
caliber would be something you'd see on like Seth Meyers, something that they're like pumping mm-hmm. out on a daily basis. Like he would often do these fake interviews with like pre-recorded clips of Trump mm-hmm. and like the context of his question with whatever the, the answer was, uh, you know, that was the the comedy. So I could see this playing out as like Seth Meyers just asking a bunch of questions and then playing that same clip over and over, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> which is like, you know, not the greatest idea, but it feels time. And if it feels like they took that idea and just took it further by like reenacting it all. Mm-hmm. But this could have taken this form as just like a, a funny little edited piece that you'd made up in a half hour, right? But I think what really made people, what made it feel maybe unsatisfactory was the ending where we have like surprise judges, like, like Catherine, you're saying everything's crazy. Surprise judges. It's the property brothers and Tony Hawk, which listen, I love Tony Hawk. I think that for an ending was just like, we're already, they started off at crazy town and they're trying to like incorporate the suburbs. You know, that's, that's what it felt like. <laughs> I, it was a little too much. I think if we had had a more on, to use a UCB term, since we took classes together, a more on-game ending, maybe, a resolution, you know, that would have, I think that would have made it more satisfactory, more, would have punched it a little more. But when you have, like, this really out-of-left-field thing popping in, I think at that point, you're just like, uh, it's, I don't know, I don't want to say dead in the water, but it definitely kind of felt like um, it didn't reach the destination we were hoping for, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know, I, like, you're right, like, that's, it's not the most creative ending, but it is a very SNL ending. And I don't hold, mm-hmm. I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me because it's one of those things where like, it is part of the fun of SNL is like you, you do have access to the property brothers and Tony Hawk. Like it is, it's just sort of like fun and silly and uniquely SNL. So that didn't bother me as much, but you're right. Like they could have maybe used, if they're going to use those cameos, use them in a slightly different way or added a, you know, more of an ending on top of them. Uh, mostly mostly good marks on the uh, Miss Universe pageant. Let's talk about our next sketch from the Aubrey Plaza episode. Sasha and Ian make their game night debut with a wild round of taboo. Uh, I, I picked this one because I loved it. I mean, look, I love a game night new neighbor vibe. It's just a fun sketch premise it's a it's just a it's a good setting all right uh i love the anticipation because we know as soon as they're like in our new neighbors you're like okay what kind of crazy are these people gonna be like i like the anticipation of like what exactly is wrong with these people you know sometimes it's that they're gonna sing a song sometimes it's that they're gonna you know have an unhinged relationship you never know um and i thought this really delivered with the specifics so like every little run of guesses was better than the last uh like when he asked, the night we met, you were on. And she goes, parole, ketamine, fire. Like, that is just, that is amazing. That is incredible. <laughs> I was just, just like crying, <laughs> laughing. And then there's also this throwaway moment where she goes, you're turning me on. And Mikey goes, oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, there's just like, there's just a lot of little moments that show a really great chemistry between Aubrey and Mikey in that sketch. And they had. Their timing was down really well. Um, and I, I just, I just really like this. My only complaint is it ended super suddenly. There was no beat three. I thought beat two really didn't live up to the first beat. Um, so for me, it started so strong and then sort of fizzled, but it left a really good impression because that first bit was just so funny. So yeah, I liked it. Kaz, what'd you think? I think that, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think this is where they're actually like giving Aubrey Plaza her moment to be unhinged. 
Uh, mm-hmm. Like you're saying, you know, she's on parole. She is uh, on ketamine. She's on fire. And then the whole bit with like, okay, the other night, or was it like, um, we had a fight and you threw, and then she's just <laughs> listing everything. And you're just like, what the hell has she not, What what is left <laughs> in this house? And it's the dog. You know, I think we're finally able to, you know, that was the sketch where they're pro- finally able to really like play into that kind of like uh, uh, insanity that Aubrey Praza loves to to project in in her comedic roles. Um, mm-hmm. I agree that I think that it also kind of like ended suddenly. Um, I guess they were just too horned up to get a black to a blackout. Uh, but you know, I I guess they just weren't sure how far they could go. Maybe I don't know. They, but I, I was really hoping for a little more. I loved that kind of like um, side game with with like they're just getting horny from being very weird. <laughs> uh, being good at game yeah. night, you know. Being good at game night, yeah. It, it it definitely feels like they like after dress rehearsal, or they like they were like, we got to cut a minute off the sketch, and they're like, all right, mm. just tear out the last page then and call it a day. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Steve, what do you have anything to add? I just think this this sketch uh, is a great example of 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 the magic of comedy because this whole this whole situation <laughs> that's painted out for you. As you watch this sketch, by the end of it, you you have several phone calls to make. Uh, you don't know where to start. You're concerned for the safety of their daughter, for which they <laughs> do unflattering impressions of. Uh, it seems they're <laughs> running out of states to live in. Uh, just the more you learn about these people, the more holes that are poked in into their life, the more horrid and dark it, it is. And that's the thing, like. To 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 meet anyone like that in reality, <laughs> there's nothing funny about any of that. But just the way that it's presented <laughs> to you, the way that it's just they're so cavalier about it, and uh, just they have a shorthand of dysfunction that is uh, like like just like the whole casual delivery of it makes it so unsettling that that that's what pushes it into the the realm of 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 laughing of humor i kind of like that it ended like on a snappy joke and then it was out um but that's just me i mean it is interesting because if you had asked me the night of how long was the taboo sketch i'd be like i don't know it was like 90 seconds i don't know why they cut it so short but it was a full three minutes and 43 seconds like so yeah i don't know but the i don't know i guess maybe that speaks to like the pacing was maybe a little interesting but yes I know you're oh. used to that getting you like one third through a Taylor Swift song, but that is, <laughs> that is a good bit of time. Touche. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, obviously something about it worked well enough that I was like, we got to talk about it. So, you know, it's a win. So yeah, that, that, that wraps up our, our Aubrey Plaza coverage. Uh, there, so, you know, there, there's some winners in there. I think we, we found some stuff to like, even if, you know, I think Kaz and I were maybe, feeling a little lower on the episode as a whole than Steve, but uh, fun, fun, fun to be found for sure. And great performances from Aubrey. So let's, uh, let's jump into Michael B. Jordan and uh, Michael B. Laughing. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) Michael B. Shopping. Uh, So yeah, Kaz, did you find Michael B. Jordan to be a capable host? I think, yes, actually, I think that um, he was very brave as a host, you know, uh, you know, he does a lot of dramatic uh, acting. You know, now he's doing the new Creed movie that he directed as well. 
Um, you know, so you're, he's known for a lot of these much more, you know, more serious roles and, uh, him going on to this just institution of comedy. I think that he, uh, really did not, he was not afraid to step out there in order to get a laugh. You know, there are necessarily SNL, but you know, there are certain actors who are sometimes afraid of changing their image or tarnishing their image for a joke. I don't think Michael B. Jordan cared. I think, uh, Michael be ready for anything. Uh, <laughs> You know the roller coaster, <laughs> the roller coaster accident sketch was a great example of that. With just pouring soup into his open mouth, you know he did not care what he looked like, especially with you know like this. You know I think he he was not only capable, but I think that at some point we'll probably see him maybe even doing feature comedies. Hopefully, yeah. I you know I don't really know that much about Michael B. Jordan. I you know I'm not a, a fan of Creed. Uh, I think he was in Black Panther, which I saw mm-hmm. once. Um, yeah, I, I came into it a, a little blind. I know that he's very good looking uh, and I just had an open mind for what you know he would do. And I think ultimately he did a good job. I think the, the writing staff delivered some really good material for him to work with. Um, and that, of course, always helps. Steve, what about you? Uh, it pretty much resembled how I imagined it, you know, when the announcement when the announcement was made and I was like, OK, what would that look like? It kind of. Basically, that's that's how it played out. Uh, a lot of the humor, uh, you know, he he did make me laugh, but he also didn't surprise me, making me laugh in ways I wasn't expecting. Like a lot of the humor was based on him being like a superior man, because mm-hmm. <laughs> like I think we as a, as you know, the whole world just agrees. Michael B. Jordan is a superior man. You ask like the most hippie bullshit. Michael B. Good looking. Yeah, the B stands like, for beautiful. Yeah, like ask like the most like all people create equal like hippie line of thinking. Like they'll be like, yes, Michael G. Michael B. Jordan is better than most of us. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think his intimidating uh, aura and all that was used for comedy. Basically, I got what I uh, what I expected. I, uh, I I I see that point. Like I think you're right, Steve. A lot of what they drew on was like he's he's good looking guy. He can be Jake from State Farm. He can be the the masterful Toyota salesman. Like yeah. it's like intimidating, you know. And then like he's a fighter. He can do the fight voiceover. So like yeah, like they used they used him in very specific ways. Um, that yeah, I, I I see your point. They weren't necessarily surprising. I sort of like that. Like I like it when we wa- when I watch an episode. And I'm like, oh, they really sat down and brainstormed what's good for the specific host. Uh, like right. I think that's sort of fun. Uh, but I also like, I, I agree Kaz that he did. He, it seemed to me he came into it ready to, to play around and have fun and, and do whatever they asked him to do. It just so happened that what they asked him to do was be attractive <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the, uh, the sketches that he brought us then up first Southwest airlines. You obviously don't respect yourself. So why should they? And, uh, I picked this one because it's brilliant. I think Southwest is, has always been the most garbage airline. I don't know why we were surprised that they fell apart. Anyway, I digress. Uh, the sketch <laughs> itself uh, was amazing. So I, I thought Heidi in particular gave an amazing performance. Uh, she, you know, she was just really good. Great deliveries on all of her lines, especially towards the end when she got really sarcastic about it. Um, and then all the specifics, again, just really, really heightened this. I 
like they, you know they could have said you know we upgraded our laptops you know from the from a 2002 to a 2012 but they were like they they specifically said the 2002 IBM laptops with the little red nipple in the middle like that's just that's just really great specific that's just really good writing uh and then another thing that I thought was really interesting about this um was how simple it was to produce it's all green screens and stock footage which i thought was really interesting because coming from like an indie sketch perspective, especially like in the, you know, I film a lot with cats and stuff. And sometimes I think both of us feel frustrated that like we have to use green screens because we just don't have the budget for like a location rental or set building, obviously. And so it was, it was kind of, it was kind of a nice reminder that sometimes, sometimes you can just do this. And, it, and I don't think the sketch would have been any better if they had gone all out on the production of it. Uh, so I don't know. It was just kind of nice to see SNL sort of have this toned down approach and, and see it really work really well. And like, you know, if, if the writing's there and the writing's good and the performances are good, like it doesn't matter in, in a lot of ways. Obviously, sometimes it does like with the Mario Kart sketch. But yeah, I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting angle to, to look at it from and a very fun sketch. Steve, what'd you make of it? It's basically just anti-sales, right? It's, <laughs> it's trying to... <laughs> it's trying to bring down the American way. That. Right. Presenting you bad information as if it makes something sound good, uh, mm-hmm. which is a classic move. I know you're right. Is that is it a classic move that you don't necessarily always like or you're just like, yeah, it's, it is what it is. And it was enjoyable. It, it is what it is. You know, and it's you were blown away. By it. Uh, I guess not. Kaz. Yeah. What, what did you make of it? I, I got it. Yeah. I'm, I agree with you, you know, uh, with the with the green screen thing, you know, and it's funny to me. You know, you think like Southwest could use the money. They could probably just rent out a hangar to them or something. You know, these guys. But um, hey, good for them. I guess, uh, you know, I think was it last couple of years, they've already been really moving into their green screen era over at SNL. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you got to move with the times. I guess it's a lot easier for production wise. Um, overall, yeah, you know, it is a very simple concept of just like uh, Southwest bad. Um, so, you know, how easy is it to write? You just write pretty much. I think it's the same thing we were talking about before, like um, with the uh, 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 the the pageant, uh, except here, instead of it being a viral video, we're just literally writing about Southwest and people are laughing because they're relating that it is true. You know, Southwest bad. Um, I would give it more credit than that, though. I think they were really creative in the things like the, the in the ways oh, they yeah. in like how Southwest bad, how even in how Southwest will improve Southwest still bad. And like, mm-hmm. how, how will they do that? So like, I thought, I thought like the suitcase joke was really smart oh, and funny yeah. and creative. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think I, they found, they yeah. found good angles on it. I like yeah. how the, the, uh, the computers they were proud to announce they got rid of and replaced were then repurposed to be used right. elsewhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've, that was a good one. One more interesting note and also a production savvy, interesting point was that this was cut from the Aubrey Plaza episode and how smart were they in a pre-tape to have put the host always in a shot by themselves. So you can just, you can reuse that the next week. You can just refilm that one part, throw it in. You're good to go. Oh, that was kind of interesting. Yeah. They've, they've done it enough times. I think that they've planned for it. It's like, let's right. make this recycle proof. Exactly, because sometimes sometimes you see them they they go all out on this pre-tape and then it gets cut and they put it on YouTube, which is great, but like it doesn't it, it I don't I don't feel like you feel as accomplished when it's like cut for time on YouTube, but if you can be savvy about it, then you can just recycle it for the next few weeks until it gets on there and just insert a new host every time. Yeah. yeah. 
All right, well, let's move on to our next sketch. Stay hard in that left lane to get to the King Brothers Toyota Overstock Sailathon. Kaz, thank you for picking this. I love this sketch, but why why did you pick it? Because it is it was such a good pee in the pod um sketch. I think what Steve was just talking about with the uh with the Southwest uh sketch, same thing here. You could have plugged in any of the hosts to be uh the third salesman. I mean, here right now we have a handsome capable um michael b jordan who's coming in uh to make sure that you buy those cars but really you could have thrown anybody in there and just rewritten that bit for their personality and it would have still stayed funny but i think uh you know the two peas in the pod uh andrew dismukes and uh as i call him jadge um mm-hmm. uh you know i think i want to see more pea in the pod sketches from them i want i think they play off each other so incredibly mm-hmm. um that yeah, they're a great duo. I want more. You know, it it had that great surrealism and absurdity that you see that's that 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 you know is crept around in a lot of the the last few seasons of SNL. But also, the, to me, I love a good pee in a pod, uh, peas in a pod uh, sketch. So just to see how they played off of each other was so it was like to me it was like electric. I mean, I think there's a million things to love about this, but number one is the chemistry between Dismukes and James Austin Johnson, and to the point where. I like Michael B. Jordan's character in this. I think it's like a fun angle, but almost like I was like disappointed. I was like, oh, we have to bring someone else in. Like, just let these two go. You know, like I, I would just love, I want the whole sketch to be just them. Um, but yeah, this was, this was actually my favorite ep- uh, sketch from this episode. Cause it's just, it's so true and just yet so silly. Um, you know, like in my hometown there, there's a Chick-fil-A and traffic backs up on the highway for like a mile during lunchtime at Chick-fil-A. Like it, it's insane. Um, and so I, this is just right in my sense of humor of a very, very grounded observation that you immediately take to like crazy town and just like riff on for like three minutes with just like great chemistry between these two guys. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really love this. I love like all the low quality, like graphics added such a fun element to it. Just every, every little touch was, was really fun. And um, yeah, I thought the end could have been tightened up a bit, but I, I, I loved it. I've made everyone I know watch this. So Steve, where'd you land? Oh, uh, apart from just enjoying the sketch itself, like got me wondering, you know, what exactly was the inspiration? Did somebody like, did one of the writers try to get to a dealership and couldn't thanks to a, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, like, I, like, I know like Canes. this mukes is like from Texas. Like I think he, I feel like he probably went home on the holidays. He's like, damn, that Canes line's long. Like. That Canes is prohibitively <laughs> popular, <laughs> but yeah, I mean like I, I've had quite, I've like, you see it on local TV all the time. Like I've seen commercials, on my local stations, like right across the street from where the Stockwoods used to be before it closed. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes towns are so small or like, especially like on highways, like addresses are kind of like meaningless. So you kind of like have to put like mini directions uh, in your, uh, in your, in your commercial. But yeah, it's, it's just like one of you said, it's, it's just so real world and it feels like something that, was hardly made up at all and, and like seems to be like like a very thin border between inspiration and and, and final mm-hmm. product uh i mean not to take away it seems like uh we're all pretty warm on the michael b jordan episode overall so 
Let's see if Pedro Pascal can live up to it. What did uh what did you think, Kaz? Were you, did you enjoy Pedro Pascal? This was one of my favorite episodes of SNL. I think the writing was on all cylinders. I think these guys just blasted off into the stratosphere with this episode. Um yeah, I think this one uh, to me, yeah, I I just uh the last two had some great moments. I think pretty much almost every sketch from this one, the cold open, I thought was one of the best cold opens I've ever seen, uh, which isn't necessarily Pedro Pascal related, but it is in the episode. Uh, I just was like every joke, everything, every beat. I was just like surprised of just like, damn, I don't know. I guess they finally brought cocaine back into the writer's room. Uh, but we're basically, <laughs> uh, we're just, they're just uh. like, rocking out on this one i was i was so happy and so so delighted to to watch this episode i i agree i thought this was a very solid episode and i again didn't know a ton about pedro pascal i haven't watched a single show that this man has been credited on like i don't know where i've been but everyone else was so excited about it i was like okay it'll probably be fun and i think he he showed up and he i think he gave some really great performances you know that first sketch he was in was the one where he was just talking and like that in the, the silly california accent the whole time um and it, it's a sketch that i probably wouldn't usually like but i thought his performance and the way he committed to it really really worked and it made me excited to see like what he was going to bring to the rest of the episode you know so um i yeah i agree with Kaz. i thought this was this is probably the strongest of the three and i really enjoyed what pedro pascal in particular brought to it uh steve what do you think yeah, uh, you could just do an inverse of what I was saying about Michael B. Jordan uh, on some things. Like, the way that I wasn't surprised with Michael B. Jordan, I, those surprises were uh, abundant with, with Pedro Pascal. Um, I am familiar with his work. Uh, you know, Star Wars nerd, that's me. So Mandalorian, obviously, I uh, have seen that. I'm watching. I've never played Last of Us, but I'm watching Last of Us. Uh, judging by the ratings, I think that describes a lot of the people watching. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he's a great actor. I've seen, like, I've I've nerded out to uh, to enough of his like work that I've seen behind the s- scenes pics and stuff, and he generally seems like a goofy dude. Uh, so, like, I, I was like, I would like to see this side of him come out. There's so much to unpack because I loved him in so many ways. Like I loved like the shit he went for. I loved the way he reacted to things going on around him. Uh, it was just like all the things you love from a first time host. Mm-hmm. Like the the reason we loved Ryan Gosling was because he looked like he had the time of his life mm-hmm. and like just couldn't con- couldn't contain his giddiness. We got that from him. We got him like you know playing against type doing things we wouldn't expect him to do. Like it just ticks off all the boxes of, of things we like to see in a host. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was, it was so great. Awesome. Well, let's talk about the uh, specific sketches we've picked up first, a table of beautiful women and one funny one get hit on by Italian waiters. Kaz, why'd you go with this one? Number one, we got to stand our funny Queens. Uh, that's top of the right off the bat. We got to say that, but yeah, this, uh, I think I the structurally I I loved it. I think that they were so again to use the term on on game with this. Uh we were presented with it very early on, 
you know, right at the top of the sketch. We didn't really waver from the game too much uh, until maybe the end, but overall, like, and they just kept tightening it in really fun ways. Um, mm-hmm. I also love the inverse where instead of like we were talking about earlier, where you have normal person, normal person, crazy person, they're all normal. It's just the waiters have decided that one of them is not, even though they give their reason later. But up until that point, when they give their reasoning, um, which I personally don't think they needed to do, um, I, I thought that that was just so funny. I also love the fact that there's just an unlimited amount of Italian waiters in this very intimate restaurant. <laughs> it looks like there's five yeah. tables. You have a mater D somewhere and then like <laughs> 70 like Italian guys walking around pouring carbonated water. Yeah. I don't You're know. You're paying a whole salary to yeah. a guy to bring out like a candle. <laughs> yeah. Like no, n- delegate that to the waiter. <laughs> Absolutely. Like we brought over everyone from Nona's village to work in this place. Um, yeah, that's actually, that's <laughs> one of my favorite gags from this sketch actually is the candle thing where they put up the little intimate candle, the two favorites, mm-hmm. they put up the intimate candles and then the waiter walks over and unscrews a light bulb from a lamp that is conveniently just hanging over Sarah Sherman. I love that. And then <laughs> the, 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 the chef is giving everybody uh, a, um, a free sample and then they just have a crock of chili <laughs> that they bring out for the, for again, for Sarah Sherman. I thought that was so good and funny. And then the random throwaway, well, not, but that came back later line about the, um, your motorcycle is leaking oil outside um you know i don't ride a harley yeah (laughs) i think so that that just like random thing of like we've established that they find or think she's the weird one so at that point we're um you know now just building the universe out of now there's just a random motorcycle outside they've decided that it's hers because it's leaking oil you know i just thought that that was uh um yeah, just very well written. Lots of really funny jokes. Great uh, building of b- world building for this one. Um, you know, um, Sarah Sherman, you know, playing it straight was also really great to see, you know, just being much more like a voice of reason instead of uh, just some kind of like wild, crazy character. Um, and not just like a <laughs> random reaction. She's like very much within the world and interacting with everybody. I, re- I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we have gotten like so much of a uh, insight to her. Sarah's ability to play the straight type because mm-hmm. she could certainly do wacky off, you know, off the wall goofballs characters. But yeah, seems like she can play that role to to affect this as well. Interesting, because I think actually one of my complaints about this is I actually wish that Sarah had played it a little more grounded. Uh, like, I think obviously we want Sarah to do Sarah's thing. I get that. But like. I feel like she was she was still a little too much of like this vibe where I wanted her to have like some genuine like oh like oh I want to be the hot one you know like <laughs> I, I I thought I I I wish there had been a little bit more like emotion and like uh kind of voice of reason brought to it but not not that she did a bad job in any way but I I did miss that a little bit that I think maybe someone else could have brought to that role but it is great to see Sarah branching into those roles i think i think that that's good and i think that it's great to you know build that repertoire yeah um i i don't know i think sarah made it easy to swallow because like you risk feeling bad and not really laughing mm-hmm. at it because like you're watching someone get bullied but like her kind of like cartoonish reaction to it that's somewhat based i think is a good line to dance along for for the straight role 
Sure. Yeah. I was just going to say, you know, I, I think this was this is a good sketch. It's it's probably not my favorite, but I like I did enjoy it. It's definitely like it's a very relatable thing that like really the waiters are like being creepy to your friends, but you're kind of like, but like be creepy to me, too. You know, yeah. <laughs> like I want to be included in it. Um, and I think that that's really funny. Um, and like Kaz was kind of getting to, I like that with each beat, they found really creative ways to insult her. Like, obviously, when they brought out like the special desserts, I knew that hers was going to be different, but I never expected it to be a pot of chili <laughs> that Keenan sets down and says chili in an American accent. Like, <laughs> chili. Yeah. And then, like, the, the, I agree, Kaz, I think the best beat was the candles and then he unscrews that light bulb. That's just really creative. That's like very much like finding, like, okay, what's, we, we don't just want to, we, we don't want the beats to feel too similar. It's like, how can we really vary these up? And I think they found really good ways to do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I like this. I like that it has sort of Liz Lemon vibes to it. Um, and yeah, I, again, the ending, the famous complaint that, you know, the SNL ending was not, I didn't think the best ending, but, uh, it, it's a fun sketch executed, executed very well. So Steve, uh, what all do you have to say about it? Well, I just like it for what it is compared to like a slam dunk competition uh, where you're all competing at the same thing, a slam dunk. And it's all in like this style. There's a hundred different ways to spin around and flip before you throw it in the basket. And that's what we're doing here. They set it up very plainly showering these women with compliments. And this one woman is getting singled out. How many times can we do that? but keep it interesting and, and funny. Um, I remember watching that community reunion and Dan Herman talking about how hard it was to write that semen scene. Uh, if you've seen the one where Pierce has his will read and he has like freeze frozen, frozen semen made for everybody. And he had to make the same joke like seven or eight times of, of people being handed, uh, a thing of, of semen and yeah the challenge there is like to do the same joke make it funny make it interesting and, and keep your audience involved without being like okay <laughs> we, we just saw you do that why are we watching it over and over uh yeah i think what we see here is is some really good writing that takes something that is is something of a risk you're at a risk of boring your audience and you're relying on talent that you obviously think you have to make this attempt you know to keep it interesting and i think they succeeded but let's talk about the chili because i was going to talk about the chili yeah talk about the chili how great it seems to was... be only ground meat but yeah <laughs> oh there were beans in there okay okay um i watched it on this tv uh i saw it all the i saw what i what i liked about it was the spoon because the prop master obviously like had to mold a mm-hmm. big chunk of chili on the spoon and they just made it so ugly and like unsymmetrical and just like I really appreciate that little detail mm-hmm. of making the chili look extra unappealing. Now, uh, Catherine, it sounds like you have some complaints about how the chili was made. Is there a particular recipe that <laughs> you would have rather that the prop master used? <laughs> Maybe add some corn or red pepper in there? Is that... <laughs> No, I, I'm not a big chili person, actually. Um, I just thought it was funny that it did. It did seem like a very hearty chili, um, but I mean, I don't. I, I'm <laughs> so not concerned with it. Like, I think, I, I think, like Steve just alluded to, there was a reason for that, and it's because they wanted a nice chunky bit on that spoon. 
Yep. Let's talk about the next sketch. Lisa from Temecula demands that you cook her meat. Quick, change the yep. set. What, what a... Yeah, quick, that, that is also the probably the funnest note is that it's just the same set from the Italian restaurant. That is so funny. Uh, but yeah, Steve, what made you pick this one? There's just so much. Like We should just like brainstorm right now because there's so much to unpack here. I mean, there's two levels of breaking to talk about mm-hmm. alone. Like, like the breaking conversation has multiple arms to it. And mm-hmm. then we have, you know, just like Ego's amazing performance. Uh, the creativity behind the execution of it all. And just like the sheer chaos that all of these elements came together to, to make. Like, we got to talk about how this is lightning in a bottle. Mm-hmm. SNL. How happy are we? <laughs> <laughs> We're eating well as like podcasters. Cause like this. Right. This is the kind of stuff I want to do a podcast for. Mm-hmm. Talk about sketches like this. So where do we start? I don't know. Where do you Where do you want to start? Well, let's What's talk your favorite about, part. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about Pedro Pascal just losing it pretty early right. into from it. the get go. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, I've got questions about it. Okay, where do we start? Like, was this rehearsed? <laughs> was this <Yeah>. rehearsed? <laughs> Everybody in this sketch feels like they never seen like or, never or experienced saw, any of this it's like <laughs> yeah. oh my god the table's going to move this is news to me like I, i'm so confused I, but I like, like go ahead Kyle. Oh, i was gonna say i feel like this is like one of those like either chris farley things where he just waits until it's live to like get into david spade's face and make him break or uh you know if you go to like back to this, like stefan where john mulaney would just change the joke at the last minute to make right. uh, Bill Hader break. I think this is the same thing of just like, they probably rehearsed this. So Pedro Pascal is cracking up because he knows what's going to happen. And then Ego or somebody else on the set was like, okay, we're just going to go all the way out. Cause this is now live. There's no going back. Right. And we're just going to torture everybody who's on the, I mean, even the, I think the extras to the left, if you looked, one of the guys would like kept looking over and he'd have to like, look away because he was, he could not handle it. Yeah. But I'll tell you, after analyzing and reading, uh, rewatching it, I think what's going on here with Pedro, at least, um, it's like you're trying to do your scene while someone's in your face doing this <laughs> over and over. Because, like, there's so much chaos and things flicking at him, like the wine is in his face. There's thing, like, he's genuinely afraid he's going to get hit or hurt in some way while trying to deliver his lines Mm -hmm. and just like the stress manifests in laughter um and i've thought about this a lot because he's not breaking in the regular way you see people break like he 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 didn't even have that instinct to like try and suppress it (laughs) and kind of like let it out and i was just so fascinated by it and that's that's the first break that's worth talking about all right so how do we do this? Because I could keep going. <laughs> well, let's circle back. Let's see if, it, if anybody else gets to it. So Kaz, Kaz what, where did you think of Lisa from Temecula? I didn't choose this one because I knew somebody else would and I didn't want to waste my vote. Um, that's the honest truth. Uh, and Steve, I'm glad you, you chose it. I figured you or Catherine were going we're gonna, to we're gonna pull, pull this one in. Um, it was just such a classic thing. You know, we were talking about Twitter earlier. Uh, before I got around to actually watching the episode a couple of days later, um, I Twitter blew up just with uh, clips of just the steak being cut. Um, I mean, these are even people that I've seen like 
who aren't really big SNL people. So this is a sketch. This is one of those classic sketches. It's reaching everybody, you know. Um, and it's that thing we were talking about earlier where, like, just the simplest of things um, c- can be the funniest. And it's just this cutting of the steak, you know, with the, um, you know, and I think the, yeah, the Pedro uh, Pascal breaking like you said, I think it definitely was him probably just being like like a like a reflex of just being like, I'm about to get splashed or hit or someone's going to stab me. Yeah. This table is going to fall on me and he just can't hold it together because it's so chaotic. Even if they rehearse it to some point, he knows that there's no guarantee of anything happening in this sketch, which which I, I think for me, that is the beauty of live comedy is when things can get so chaotic that you're you're not sure if things are going to go even according to plan even if right. you've rehearsed it before. And I think they were able to, like you said, this was lightning in a bottle and they were finally able to, mm-hmm. you know, with this sketch in, in this episode that what I already, I think was up here. They shot it off to the moon with, with <laughs> ending on that note. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. think, yeah. Like you said, this is the type of situation that is what makes SNL great in the, and live comedy in general. Great. But you know, SNL in particular, as far as TV goes, cause you know, you just don't, you don't get this, you don't get those, that contagious energy where everyone on that stage was having the most fun they'd had all night. Um, and, and it showed like you, yeah. you really saw that. And, and what's fascinating about it is that there's, there's no reason why this sketch worked. like on paper. This is not that funny. Like it is ego. Wotum almost exclusively is what makes this like, she just is incredible. Um, cause like I said, yeah, from, from the writing, there's, there's not much going on here. It feels like a very, <laughs> real thing that like someone's relative demanded their meat be cooked extra well done and said cook my meat and they just went with it you know like the writer was just like that's a weird thing to say and just like was like let's do a whole thing with that ego will be perfect for it and she was and like they just really took it to insane heights and ego the way she sold it then making everyone break in in that contagious joyful way that is genuine it's the good kind of breaking as far as i'm concerned that like they really were having the time of their lives. She was really cracking them up. Like they were genuinely laughing and it makes, it makes you laugh. It's, it's a contagious energy. Um, and so, yeah, I thought that was so fun. Like when she, her delivery, when Devin asked, when Devin says we've gotten some complaints and she goes, what? Cause we're black immediate cut to Bo and Yang just cracking up because her delivery was so good. And I think it just got him. And like, I was like, that's hilarious. And then, you know, I, I don't I, I don't know what it is about Lisa from Temecula, but we love her. And uh, there's also this interesting moment at the end where they cut to the wide shot and Bowen's kind of doing this like someone off camera is like, we're out of time. You'll have to end the sketch. And then they do. They cut it off. Pedro starts to say like a blackout line or something. And the sketch just ends. Um, and so I, I long to now. see the true finale of Lisa from Temecula. But <laughs> Yeah, this is that that lightning in a bottle once in you know once in a blue moon. Everyone was having fun, and it and it came through the screen and made you have fun with them. So this was a win. Ego's performance, though, my God, mm-hmm. there's something brilliant going on here with what Ego's doing because she knows exactly how much of that table is doing the work for her. Mm-hmm. She knows all she needs to do is very calmly cook that steak. <laughs> proud. There's very little in her performance. And that's exactly what this needed. And this is the work of a true professional is that she knew the effect that this table in front of her is having. 
and she didn't need to like compensate much with her performance. In fact, it would probably get in the way if she did too much. Mm-hmm. She did just enough to let the table be, you know, the main appendage of her performance, which is interesting to say because she's not controlling the table. I'm sure mm-hmm. like she directed how she wanted it to wobble or whatever, but she's relying on some, I don't know if you'd want to call them puppet masters. Uh, this isn't quite table puppetry. Puppeteers. Ta- yeah. Table puppeteers. Table Uh But, you know, it's like how Charlie Chaplin would like do that little dance with uh, the, the potatoes, potatoes. Or, or buns. You know, he knew just how to like glance and, and uh, just how to like uh, compliment the, the the extraness of the performance probably a way better way to say that but eh, my vocabulary is how you say uh, extra the words they do not come um let's see now that leads into the second break which you were talking about and that's probably the best moment and this is like the the bow time bowen haha this is the the Bowen on on the package because like this this was a moment where like they just decided there's no point in trying to save this, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? He dropped the fork and it's like why bother? Mm-hmm. I haven't seen anything like that since Horatio Sands picked up the pancake and wiped the tears <laughs> off his face. <laughs> yeah, like right. it's just that point. It's like I think everybody's noticed that we're all laughing now. So <laughs> <laughs> let's not try to hide it. Yeah. Let's drop our forks and. tell people to cut the sketch on camera i have to stop somewhere because it's just too much excitement from from Mm -hmm. the sketch like i could go on all night it's 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 a great sketch it's obviously it it took the internet by storm uh and we love to see echo shine so yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's right she doesn't miss remember that i feel like it'll be one of those recurring sketches that'll never hit the heights just like debbie downer Mm was yeah um now, before we leave the Pedro Pascal episode, there must be a discussion of the Mario Kart sketch just because of how insanely well produced it was. I mean, obviously it's funny, like it's it's a great idea of like what other video game can we can we do, but the production value on that sketch was honestly insane was just like out of control from the giant like flickering boxes and then like the costumes were all on point and just everything was was so good and I'm I'm told Steve that you're you're aware of the the, the VFX house that helped with this or something well I'm aware of some people who said that they were a part of this people who are not normally they're not SNL employees basically okay brought in to help with a few shots of this um yeah did you want me to answer that question yeah go yeah tell us about it um yeah uh myself and and john too john uh our our producer extraordinaire he uh is also a fan of uh of uh these guys it's corridor crew they're called and uh you know they're famous for that vfx artist react show on youtube uh Mm -hmm. been watching these guys for years and so, yeah, I follow a bunch of them and two members of, of that crew uh, came in to do a couple of these shots. And uh, it's funny because I actually had a feeling that some of these people were involved. Like, like I've seen so much of these guys and, and their work that I kind of like felt their influence in it. 
So it was mm-hmm. it was interesting to learn afterwards that I was right. Do you know what what particularly what shots they worked on? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, I would say that wide shot they had something to do with it because that made me think of them. Like I know those guys are good with like procedural stuff. Like I don't know if Unreal was used, but like just like the scale of of how they made everything so big. Like there was. Mm-hmm. Definitely some something used like some kind of I don't know asset generator. I'm trying. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about at all. But like corridor. What my point is is like watching those guys work and all their videos they put out. That's what made me realize that VFX is at a point now where it can be produced within a week, and we right, can get yeah. awesome stuff like this in SNL. I mean, so, not even in a week in three days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, oh. Something tells me they had this idea a little sooner because, like, it was all so perfect. Like, Pedro Pascal kind of looks like Mario. Uh, I mean, if uh, they had, like, a general idea, they could probably get started on, like, some some world building and stuff. I I saw, I think, Mike Diva, who directed it, said, we started work on this Tuesday night. So they had, like, a little extra lead time than they normally do to start kind of brainstorming it. Right. Um. That's still not a lot. Nope. <laughs> uh, and especially for what they ultimately pulled off, which was incredible. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, it was oh, great. Almost as good as the uh, actual Mario movie. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. Almost. But look, can we talk True. about um, how we felt about like the story of all? Because which of us have seen Last of Us, the show? I haven't. It's on my list. <laughs> okay. Because I'll tell you something, uh, like, they clearly, you know, took some liberties with, uh, you know, they took a lot of inspiration from the feel of The Last of Us. Like, they got, like, Mm -hmm. the grim, kind of, like, dark look of it all. I feel like in the process of trying to mesh The Last of Us with, uh, with Mario Kart, it feels like the baby that was made of it felt more like a young adult novel. Mm. Uh, like Maze Runner, sparkly mm-hmm. vampire twilight you know it felt like those kinds of story beats <laughs> which i don't think does either property justice but, but i guess i guess that's what they seem to lean into it and they seem to settle for that because that kind of was the vibe i got throughout with well here's the, the thing the, that i that was interesting about that is that they they referenced that it's from the minds that created the stories behind mario kart like one through eight and I was like, hold on, is there a plot to Mario Kart? <laughs> and is like I've been playing it all these years and I didn't think there is there? This is a genuine question. Yeah, if there yeah. is, it's like one of those storylines that are like in the instruction booklet <laughs> that like <laughs> okay. brings you to like where you start the game. <laughs> yeah, it's he, he has to get to the finish line. I mean, that's the whole story. Yeah. Okay. Yes, you know, the But there's there. not some it's, grand plot of he's working through these race courses to try to rescue peach or any of that it, stuff no it's the She's hero's okay. journey I think so, but just make it, right that's <laughs> yeah. what i thought okay no stakes just sure Nobody's captured. everybody's just racing okay but like that's part of the joke that's part of the joke right there really is you know the last of us is a good idea for a, an adaptation because it's a story driven video game like it's people play it for the cutscenes. like i, I mm-hmm. hear the gameplay is like okay but like people watch people play for the story basically so, like, what has less story than Mario Kart? Mario Kart, right, yeah. exactly, yeah, okay. 
That's what I thought, but I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to look stupid when I was like, Mario Kart doesn't have a story, and you're like, um, the hell you say? No. Uh, <laughs> it's the point. Okay. We're good to proceed. <laughs> yeah. Well, a, a great sketch, very clever. Uh, another one clearly inspired by the host, which I love, and yeah, those post-production guys, they earned their full, full season salary just on that one piece. Uh, incredible work all around. Yeah. So yeah, let's uh, let's take a step back. Let's zoom out. Let's look at these three episodes as a whole, and let's uh, let's focus. Let's look at what our featured players were doing, in particular, our four new people. Uh, I I felt Michael Longfellow was um, pretty prominent in these three episodes and doing some good work. Kaz, what how how are you feeling about Michael Longfellow's trajectory on the show? Yeah, I mean, you know, we have all these new players uh, c- coming up. Yeah, like you said, I think he he's a bit more prominent in these last episodes. Um, I'm to be honest, I don't have a very strong opinion either way about uh, about him, but uh, I liked everything that that he was doing. Yeah, I, I like Michael Longfellow. I think he's he's clearly a favorite among the writers. They keep putting him in things, and he keeps doing really well. Um, I this is gonna be my hot take of the episode though is that I was let down by his Groundhog Weekend Update feature, just mm. because. I wanted to see him take a little more of a risk with doing a character. We've seen him on update doing his stand up, and I just kind of felt like this was that again, which is fine if you want to do stand up, then do stand up. But I, when he came out as the groundhog, I was like, oh, okay, we're going to see Michael Longfellow really take on a character. Uh, and I, and he didn't quite do that. So I, w- I would be, I'm intrigued to see if, if maybe at some point that happens. And I get that, you know, the, the shtick of the groundhog was what it was, but, uh, I'm just intrigued to see if if he is willing to take that step. Yeah, um, yeah. Steve, what do you think? Yeah, we we got a character in terms of like a vibe or like a mindset, but like when it mm-hmm. comes to characterization, I mean, when you guys like workshop your your characters and stuff, you know, you're you're developing what voices, ticks, mm-hmm. um, things of this nature. Uh, yeah, like I felt like he had an idea and played this character pretty straight, you know, which is fine. If like <laughs> you're the right guy for the parts, you know, you're, you're auditioning for a movie and, and you're the vibe they want. Sure. Um, yeah. It, it's one thing to have like a funny idea and character. Uh, but for SNL is, is there enough color to this? Is there enough, uh, is there enough to latch onto and, and enjoy? Because if he's, if he's like a Pete Davidson, that's fine. Uh, just don't go halfway into like doing character work. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I'm saying that just not even as a guy who didn't in, enjoy this. Cause I, I thought it was great. Like I liked how he used the, the vape in, in certain areas and just like, it made me realize like when I see a guy vaping, I immediately judge him and think that guy's not very put together. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt like that was like an astute observation that made me go, huh, that's, that's something I didn't realize I had a preconceived notion about. I think Catherine does have a, a point that it feels like the groundhog character was like him recontextualizing what might've been a stand-up bit that he's either done or was thinking about doing, you know, uh, having that, you know, so he kind of may have had it sitting around and he was like, huh, I could do a character about a groundhog if i just like put what i'm my jokes about a groundhog out of the groundhog's mouth so i don't think that he really um perhaps formed it in a way that's from the groundhog's point of view he's just having the groundhog say things that he would have otherwise observationally uh 
said about, you know, the things he would have observed about a groundhog on, on stage, I think instead he just had the groundhog saying, because it wasn't correctly reformatted from the groundhog's point of view. And, and Steve, as you're saying, you know, we didn't have those like little quirks or something that you sometimes love to get from, from our SNL, uh, we can update characters, you know, it didn't feel fully fleshed out, but you know, there's definitely a few other, uh, great players on SNL. There are some of the early characters you could see they're still figuring it out, but within the their second or third season when they're up there doing the characters it's they're knocking it out of the park so this is maybe just him this is him taking the you know the steps to figure out how to exactly do that you know yeah. so i wouldn't worry yeah. too much yeah yeah i, I think mean, he's i think he's a great comedian i think he's doing a really good job on the show that was just something that, that stood out to me yeah yeah he can he can he can choose a lane i i like to see the ambition i would rather him continue doing characters and things like that uh, and maybe get to a level like uh, like Keenan. Like Keenan is not a, a chameleon by any means, but like he uses what he's got mm-hmm. to make characters that feel like characters. And you may recognize every single beat that he's done. Like if you've watched Keenan through the years, you you've co- you've come to learn all the ways that he can make you laugh. <laughs> You're not surprised, right. but it always does make you laugh because it is truly funny. But like you you always see the Keenan in it. So like, oh yeah, I'm saying this because I, I don't think anybody is saying we we want Michael Longfellow to disappear into his characters and be the next Daniel Day Lewis of of comedy. It's nothing like that. It's just like right. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, Molly Kearney. Kaz, how are you feeling about Molly? I think that they are a great uh, performer, very funny. Um, but uh, having watched these uh, three episodes with a more critical eye for the for this distinguished podcast, uh, I feel like to me it does feel a bit like um, now with with eighty Bryant being gone for one reason or another, they've decided to try to make them into the next eighty, or at least like if they if some of these writers had ideas that they were able to flesh out for some reason, they're just pushing Molly into that role. Um, I'm thinking of like. Um, the 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 uh, uh, the sports cold open. Uh, I think that's the the Aubrey Plaza episode where we just we have them like dressed up like um uh what's what's that guy's name? But but uh, we have <laughs> the name of that coach is that guy's yeah. name? Jesus, yeah, but yeah. But I mean, like that's a t- total eighty Bryant kind of like character thing. Mm-hmm. Even uh, when they they were dressed up as a a, a nun, um, that's another sort of like thing you would have seen eighty do. So I feel like we. Right now, I think the writers are trying to figure out how to uniquely write for them, and maybe we're just not there yet. Uh, I, maybe they just need to get some of this stuff out of their system, and then we can finally yeah. get. I was going to say, it. Yeah. they had some stuff written. Yeah, they're just like, like, I don't know. Don't leave. <laughs> yeah, we still have stuff. Yeah, this. The, you got yeah, Molly AD. Well, why not? What, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you do it. You do it. Yeah, you do it. Why not? Come on. You want to be on I TV? It's interesting because I'm always hesitant to say, like, it's the same thing with Lauren Holt. Everyone was like, oh, she's just 80 light. And now, like, a lot of people are saying that with Molly. And I'm always hesitant of, like, and I'm not saying that you're doing this, Kaz, but I'm like, is it just because, like, they're a plus size, you know, sort of Molly Molly is non-binary but somewhat female presenting um, person on the cast. And, like, that doesn't necessarily make them an 80 replacement. But I can kind of see why you're specifically saying that with them um but yeah i don't it's interesting because i don't think molly has the same 
stylings of AD at all. Um, And and maybe because if possibly the writers are trying to slot Molly into those slots, that's why it's coming off as if there's not a ton of range because it's just like this isn't what I do, you know? Yeah, um, totally. That's, yeah, I don't, I, I don't feel like Molly's quite found their footing yet. Yeah, that's, right. that, that's exactly what I mean, is that I feel like they're not being given the air, the place to uh, be themselves. They're, they're being put into a, a slot that isn't for them. Right. Let's you know, say, like, you know, we already had an A.D. Bryant. Let's let Molly be Molly and, and figure <laughs> right. out their own voice on SNL. I mean, when they cast you as as Miss Denmark and you play it like a drill sergeant, there's some kind of disconnect there. <laughs> that, <laughs> it's that, apparent. Uh, Molly's had a, a few moments to shine, and I really liked what they did with uh, with Aubrey Plaza in the uh, Catholic school announcement sketch. I thought that was a great showcase and showed something I was waiting for. Like I just uh, chirped them for you know, not playing a character as I, as I would have thought um, when I saw them do the, the, the Irish voice and, and the, you know, the Catholic character, that that's the first time I saw them do something that was more than just yelling and uh, you know, just, just being an intense mm-hmm. person, which, which they do. And it's, and it's funny, but it was like a little bit too much of what have I, what I was seeing from them, you know? Mm-hmm. So I started to see more range coming from Molly after seeing this sketch. And yeah, I, I think if anything, after this stretch of three, I have more admiration for what they do. And and I think I just understand more about what they can bring to the show. So I'm happy about that. Sure. Well, let's talk about uh, Marcelo Hernandez. Uh, who I think is really coming into his own. I, I think we saw a lot of Marcelo in these three episodes, including a few that, you know, seem, you know, to really feature him, maybe even pitched by him, written for him. Uh, like the, uh, there were like the Dominican towel guys and then like the Hispanic mom sketch. Um, and I think, I think he's doing a really solid job. And I think his charisma is just going to take him pretty far. And it's, it's nice to see, you know, I, I think he had a pretty good start, but it was sort of, I feel like everyone was lagging a little bit behind Michael Longfellow. And I feel like Marcelo is like getting up, up there with him now, as far as uh, the writers being comfortable, kind of slotting him into things. So mm-hmm. that was exciting for me. Uh, Kaz, what do you think of Marcelo? Yeah, I agree. I think I, you saw him pretty much like all over the sketches. Uh, I think every, pretty much anything he was doing, he was really nailing. Um, yeah. I, <clears throat> in any of the sketches I saw him in, you know, he didn't even feel like he was like a featured, you know, he just seemed so very natural and the roles and I'm guessing like you said maybe these are stuff that he pitched so the so his role might have been perhaps written a little more for him um so you know uh so yeah I, I just watching it I was like yeah this just like I was saying with like my, Michael Longfellow like I think this is a, a player that that definitely just given on his comfortability level and everything else like I think this is somebody who's going to be sticking around probably for for at least another season um absolutely so I'm a very yeah just very funny guy very talented uh, and I'm glad, you know, and like I said, you know, the writing is, is pretty much like very, very well, well done around him. So, oh, Marcelo. Yeah, he's he's still good. This has been like uh, a, a closing in of sorts, as you alluded to uh, Longfellow kind of being ahead in the pack. This is definitely like a sprint on, on Marcelo's mm-hmm. part. Love to see it because 
not only is it good work, but it's like, uh, you know, something that's, uh, you know, maybe culturally underrepresented, you know, uh, we, uh, we had Julio Torres on the show who, who did some amazing stuff, uh, you know, with a, with a South American voice and, you know, we had Melissa for a while, but she only had so much to say, you know, uh, I think Marcelo is, is doing some, uh, content about latino culture or latinx culture i should say that's uh that's really you know interesting to like watch i feel like i'm I'm learning a little bit about you know that uh that that life uh from from this stuff i feel like i feel like it's authentic and, and that's just a feeling i have because you know that's not where i come from but i do feel like i'm at least watching something that's that's true to them mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah uh let's talk about devin walker uh, I feel like we didn't really see a ton of Devin in these three episodes, uh, but maybe I'm mistaken. Kaz, what do you think? Yeah, I, I did also feel like he would just kind of like pop in here and there, um, say hello. It's kind of like groundhogging, you know, like, unfortunately, um, not really sure why, but maybe he was busy. I don't know. But uh, you know, <laughs> got a lot going on. Got a lot going on. Yeah, he's it's tax season, you know. He's he's got a lot of stuff to write off. Uh but no, I I you know, I would have loved to see more of him in this. Uh I think that when he did show it when he when when he was uh uh cast and when he did have his uh time, he was funny. He was good, but he just yeah, you didn't see enough of him, you know, in three through a, a three a stretch of three episodes. It would have been nice to see him a little more prominently. Uh Steve, where you landed on Devin in these three episodes? Well, uh... Devin's the one that I am like I would have to rank on the bottom. Uh if if that's not too harsh of a way to put it. I don't know. I'm afraid to be mean, but like let's be honest, like if we're comparing to everybody else, like there there's more to worry about when it comes to projecting success for these poor little bastards. Oh god, it must be so scary. But like let's 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 talk about the uh, the British rapper duo thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, maybe it's okay at this stage, but, like, I don't think it's a, a good look to come out and have another cast member who's been there a little longer do, like, 70% of the heavy lifting for the sketch. Yeah, like, like I hate to say it, but just kind of run in circles around him. Yeah. Yeah, like, that felt like, bring your daughter to work day or some shit. Like it felt like it felt like, you know, when you have a host who like needs a little bit of help to get through a sketch, uh, you know, you have a sketch, uh, you know, one of the cast members next to them to help them out, to help them through that, which is understandable when it's a, you know, f-ing athlete or something, but <laughs> when it's literally a cast member of the show, it's not a good look. If, if the joke was like, you know, James Austin Johnson did all the talking and Devin was like the silent character. That's fine. But like, if you look at duos like that, like the silent character is doing so much with the silence. Like look at Penn and Teller, look at, uh, I don't know. I can't think of any, uh, silent characters right now, but like, Jay there's always silent Bob, Jay and silent Bob, <laughs> Joe Biden, and like, Kamala Harris. They always compensate the silence with like a very animated performance. And like, what the hell was Devin doing? He was just kind of just there, pose mugging, and then doing his reps, which might I say is basically um, 
he's basically doing an impression of what's that guy's name? Man's not hot. Yeah, said man's not hot. Yeah. Ah, what's yeah, his well, name? Two plus two is four. Minus one, that's three. Quick maths. Yeah. Yeah. That you guy. know the guy. Yeah. But here's the thing. That yeah. is a character played mm-hmm. by a comedian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this guy's doing like a straight up impression of that comedian's character. Is this guy just stealing a comedian comedian's character and doing it on SNL? Is well, this no. what I'm watching right now? Absolutely not, because that guy had a coat and they have tiny knives. See, so there's just a huge difference between the two characters. The tiny knives thing was so funny. I did like the tiny knives thing. She said, oh, thank you. That calmed me down. <laughs> thank you for the joke yeah, Steve, response. I don't know that I've ever seen Steve get that riled up. That was that was something. Yeah. I mean, I was afraid to like get started because like I feel like I saw something that I'm surprised happened, basically. Devin Walker was clearly doing Roadman Shack, which is a comedian. He's not a real rapper. He's a character created by a comedian. Uh, so it's it's baffling <laughs> to me. <laughs> but so, but you don't feel like James Austin Johnson was doing that? Oh, no. James Austin Johnson felt like a real character, like inspired by, uh, yeah, like. The grime. Music. Like he's recognizably like part of that. Uh, part of that scene or whatever but like he was a funny character and he was made funny everything funny about what devin walker did is what was funny about what roadman shock did basically interesting okay hot take yeah. coming in yeah. the greatest artist steal you know that's so perhaps okay. devin walker is he's the-, the greatest artist we figured it out that's right all right well that was that was a lot on on devin um let's talk about our repertory players um I think everybody's doing good. I think uh, Andrew Dismukes had had a one really standout episode here. Uh, I mean, I think he's I think he's great all the time. But there was that one, ep- I think the Michael B. Jordan episode that he was just all over, uh, and that was really cool to see. Uh, Kaz, how are you feeling about those repertory players? Are we just talking about Andrew Dismukes or everybody? No, everybody. Everybody. Every- oh boy. Okay. Uh, I mean, not like one by one, but like, did anyone stand out? One. You know, you know. Did anyone stand out? Yeah. They- Catherine, they all At stood the out. The okay. At the end of the day, they all stood out. Um, the they are, I mean, we're talking about the best of the best on the top of their game, on the greatest show, on the greatest network, <laughs> you know, network. and NBC is comedy. Okay. Um, this, but honestly, yeah, I think, no, I think that everybody's doing really good. Uh, Andrew Dismukes, yeah, like you said, I, I, I love him. I, lo- I love when he leans into the weirdness. I think that's like such his wheelhouse. And when he allows himself to just like get unhinged. Um, that's great. I think, uh, Bone Yang, uh, just slaying it all over the place. I think he has such a knack for inanimate characters being the spy balloon. Um, and this is coming off, the, well, not the heels, but you know, before he was the, the iceberg, the Titanic iceberg, I think he just has a knack to, um, give voices to the voiceless. Um, <laughs> and you know, he just has such a really funny, um, just a great way of just giving this funny point of view. To, to these uh, things that that are talked about, I'll tell you one thing though. Uh, as you know, I'm a I'm a I'm a huge uh, squirmhead. So seeing uh, Sarah Sherman, I feel like we saw a little bit with the with the roller coaster episode, but I was really hoping to see a little more of her outrageous, insane sketches that she's known for and has been doing. But I didn't see too much of it this time around, unless she had some part of Wing Pit, which we didn't. Uh, God, talk I loved about Wing, Pit. Wing Pit. I was so sad we didn't talk about Wing Pit. Wing Pit was just was that Ari Aster. It felt like an Ari Aster uh, comedy. Um, but yeah, I unless she had a hand in that, 
which also it could have been like a please don't destroy guys like idea as well. I'll stop there and allow someone else to continue on. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> down the list. How are you feeling about the repertory players? The repertory players. Oh, you know, I I'm glad we have who we have. It was it was such a a, a cleansing, uh, losing uh, so many players. But like, I think I've talked about this before. How we were just eating so well from a really smart, well planned setup of uh you know people to just to 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 take up the reins of of people who left there was so much that was going to be lost in in one go you know i'm just love who we're, i just love who we're left with gone but not forgotten yeah like while we still had them and all these these dismukes and and yangs were coming up you know i was loving them very early on and 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 very happy to have them in the cast getting to know them by the time they left, you know, these these uh, Cecilies and 80s and what have you. Melissa's. I, I already knew all these these people so well. So I felt I was in good hands. And yeah, Dismukes, mm-hmm. uh, definitely up there in terms of just like the ideas he brings, the energy. Like it's just so new for the show. Uh, every time he's on, I feel like I'm watching like a new age of, of SNL. Bowen is just like so amazing. And you know we're we're talking about the Chinese balloon. We're talking about the iceberg. This is this is the kind of stuff that we love from his brain. But like, there's he's just such a jack of all trades when it comes to you know doing the stuff that I just mentioned, and then you know just being there as support for other people's sketches, and just always being useful in some way, whether like he is the the main guy who like champion for it wrote it or if he just like shows up to work one day and they're like can you stand in the corner and, and make a face it's like okay sure i'll make your sketch 10 10 percent more funny just by doing that <laughs> like he's a ringer and uh you know bill Hader talks about how lord took him aside one day and said you know you you will never be asked to leave this show i i feel like bowen has been told something similar because he's he's just just a, a man of value. He's he is an MVP. We should start giving those out. <laughs> I think that would I think that would be very appropriate. Very good. All right. right, so we're we're feeling good. We're feeling like a lot of people are hitting their stride. Uh, a lot of people that you're right because because there were so many cast members hanging around. It's, it, it sort of felt. It put like Bowen and Andrew and Heidi into almost this like you permanently felt they were like younger players, but they've been there for like five and six years at this point. So like they yeah. they are veterans, you know, and now we're we're getting to see that, um, yeah. which is great. Like I remember when Bowen came out to play Kim Jong-un before he was a cast mm-hmm. member. That feels like like two seasons ago. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, Chloe Feynman, and Chloe Feynman was so good also like playing straight with the... um like I was saying, that very the the cold open that I really enjoyed the the last one with the the Chinese balloon one where she's just the reporter and she's just you know I know she's done it kind of like that before but there was just something about this performance where it was just like so real that if you didn't know who she like if you turned that on for your grandma or something she'd probably think that she was like a regular newscaster like there was just mm-hmm. you know yeah I think it's just the fact that they don't that the stage is a little less crowded now everybody's able to kind of like breathe a little more and and not feel maybe anxious about the fact that they're stepping on someone else's toes or 
you know, like there's more roles to go around. So now you're really able to see, especially the new people, the new cream that's rising to the top, uh, be able to stretch their wings out. And, and I love all these mixed metaphors and be able to, uh, <laughs> to uh, really uh, uh, rise like, like yeast. There's another one. Rise up. <laughs> all right. Well, let's talk about uh, the writers. And I know I'm, you know, the main nerd that gets into who wrote what and how they're doing, but uh, I'm, I'm here to report that uh, I feel like we're seeing, some of the newer writers really start to establish themselves. There was a lot of sketches in this run of three that were like Mike DeCenzo and Jake Nordwin teams. Uh, it seems like Jimmy Fowley and Sierra O'Sullivan have sort of teamed up and found their footing. And I think these new voices are resulting in some slight shifts to the show that we're, we're seeing. Like we've sort of said about a few things that we feel like maybe they're taking more risks. They're trying varied formats um, and just some things that are, that are different that I do think you can feel and, like it's it's always fun when you can know a writer's voice and you immediately know like okay that's Mikey that was Julio Torres that was this but I I've sort of really enjoying seeing more kind of cross pollinations happening and seeing like you know and sometimes like PDD will write something with Celestium and that's like a slightly different take on stuff like it's it's really interesting to see to see these new voices newer voices kind of rising up and finding their wings as Kaz would famously say so uh, yeah. How did you feel, Kaz, about the overall writing of these three? And do you have any specific uh, like writers do you feel are standing out? Well, I got to say, everything you just said is news to me because I thought that Lauren Michaels writes the entire show every time. So um, <laughs> I don't even know. Um, no, no, I it's my show. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, but yeah, no, I like, yeah. I mean, you basically kind of like borrowed what I w- you, you said, like as Kaz was saying. So pretty much, yes, as I was saying, I think that... Uh, um, yeah, we're really kind of like seeing SNL move forward with new writers. Um, I guess this last round when they plucked up a few new ones, maybe we had some uh, 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 unique voices that were added in. Uh, you know, I'm I'm sure that as as uh, you know, actors have left, you've probably had some a little bit of a change around in the writers room. Also, that's probably allowed for this to happen. So, um, yeah, I've, like I said, twelve episode twelve to me just like was absolutely incredible. So I think that we're seeing maybe a new era of SNL as we're getting to, to the 50th anniversary coming around. I think Lauren is maybe trying to do a shakeup to show uh, people that 50 doesn't mean much. Uh, an institution that's been on 50 years can still be relevant, still be fresh. Um, and what's more important for a comedy show, be funny. Um, you know, uh, you're always going to have some naysayers, but I think that um, we've been discussing a lot of sketches and you said you sent them out. I mean, you could you could send a bunch of these out to people to show them that like SNL is still going strong and they're still got that that infusion of fresh blood. You know, we're we're doing the Keith Richards uh, treatment here to to get things running running forward. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying everything that I'm seeing. Unfortunately, I don't know all the writers uh, by name. Uh, I haven't been invited to that uh, Facebook group yet, but they. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I have really, like I said, I've really been enjoying what I've been watching. Uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the season and how it plays out with all, all of these people, with all of these uh, uh, writers uh, finding their, cool. you know, this new direction. All right, well, let's talk about our musical guest. Does anybody have anything to add on the musical guest? Yeah, actually, I have a few things I would say about it um, with these uh, the last three musical guests and the last three episodes. Uh, first of all, Sam Smith. Uh, was that Sharon Stone in yes. uh, just randomly being serenaded by a choir? That was 
I mean, I guess we're that was the thing that happened. Yeah. Uh, I guess we we now have like choir core is now a thing. Um, <laughs> so I thought that was you know uh, kind of a bold move for them to do uh, like a choral piece and then just have a famous uh, actress just like taking a nap while they're doing it. Uh, I loved it. Um, I loved the idea of it. Um, then after that, we get a uh, uh, little baby. He's coming out with a full rock band doing a, doing a thing, and then he gets uh, Chloe Flowers from the Golden Globes to serenade everybody, um, which I thought was like a very classy move. But you know, I guess she's a, it's in a better context now that she's not like playing playing people off uh, in the middle of their speech. So that was pretty good, yeah. and then. Coldplay, not to be outdone, brings the choir back, I guess. Is that the same <laughs> choir? Uh, but then I have to give them credit for somehow also inviting the entire cast of The Masked Singer on stage. I thought that was a bold move. Um, <laughs> I, lo- I love to see that sort of like, uh, you know, cross-pollination of different franchises. Perhaps sure. we'll see more of that. Maybe we'll get the Wiggles on <laughs> as a special guest. You know what? I w- I'd watch it. <laughs> all right very good well let's move on to our overall thoughts and ratings let's do a little rapid fire action here i've been having fun with that up first is the most memorable moment of the run kaz what is it i'm stealing steve's i think it's going to be bowen breaking during the uh uh, uh temecula um uh, uh, sketch you know just him like Trying, he drops the fork, yes, but then you see him try to cover his face, but he does such a, a bad job of it because he just wants mm-hmm. to keep watching. Uh, I loved that moment. I thought that that was like so good, and it just added to that chaos uh, yep. of the entire sketch. I agree. It's it's the delivery of because we're black, and then immediate cut to Bowen yeah. just cracking up. That's the moment. That's the most memorable moment. Makes me think that joke wasn't in the original. Like that's something they added at, maybe at the last I minute. Agree. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, Steve, what's your moment? <laughs> it it is the cuz I'm black cuz we're black line. Uh Kaz is a real soothsayer there. It's a funny joke for like several reasons. Uh like we're already at a breaking point where we just can't handle anything else and then this is said. It's right. a perfect moment. Perfect moment. Yes. Let's talk about the most standout sketch, Kaz. Standout sketch, not one that we talked about. I think it's going to be um for me, it's probably going to be the maybe the wing pit uh, sketch. I think that it was so zany. Um, it's what it's just like with the Temecula one. I didn't choose it because I thought somebody else would, and I didn't want to uh, double dip. Um, t- but um, to borrow another, no, is it NBC? I don't know. Anyway, uh, so I didn't want to double dip on that one. So, but yeah, I think that it was such a. It, it had uh, kind of like tones of like a classic '90s SNL. Um, uh, commercial parody just with like the zaniness and the way that it kind of like uh, heightened and expanded out. Although the ending was very much, much more modern in its uh, uh, ideas. But um, yeah, I just thought that it was so chaotic and so insane that, that that's one that, you know, anytime I have wings from now on, I'm going to be thinking about um, Mm -hmm. worshiping a a dark God of, of poultry. Yeah. I I loved wing pit. I, in my notes, it says best sketch wing pit question mark. Um, You're right. And because Wing Pit's really good, I also think Mario Kart is is up there just because of the production value. To- the Toyota Thon is probably my favorite, mm. uh, but you know what? Let's let's give it to Wing Pit because it was really good, and uh, I don't know, just for funsies. Uh, Steve, what's your standout sketch? Oh God, it's so tough. Um, 
I feel like I want to say it's the the Lisa sketch, but like we've already sung it so much praises, and we never got a chance to talk about the coma sketch. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the best one, but I keep thinking about it because just that Valley Girl accent that Pedro Pascal was attempting. Mm-hmm. I think this is what I liked about it. He was doing, <laughs> he was trying so hard, mm-hmm. so hard, but like, I actually needed someone to like explain to me out loud. What the hell that voice was supposed to be. <laughs> right. Like when somebody finally said, Oh, he's like, he's got a, what was it? Like a, a North California X. I don't Some know. Sort of Valley. California. <laughs> Something California or LA. I think LA was mentioned. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had no idea what he was he was doing, and and I loved it because it was it was like he committed, committed to it, too, to which it. is what great, so great. Yeah. And, uh, but let's move on. Let's talk about the best host, Kaz, of the three. Who Pedro Pascal? I agree, Pedro Pascal. Steve, it is the PP. <laughs> what a way to say it. That's right. For for all the reasons that we've already said, he just really committed and was really great, and it was a very solid episode. That's right. Uh, best musical guest, Kaz. I'm gonna give it to Little Baby because I think that he went out on the limb. Uh, you know, everybody is talking about uh, that's him. dangerous for a baby. That is dangerous for a baby, but uh, you know, he has learned where others have failed. Um, what if that bow breaks? That's what you're. That's right. What if he falls out of a window? But this time, it didn't happen. He's sticking to his branches he's like he's sticking to his guns i think that but really though yeah, i think that he just uh you know he experimented a bit like i was saying before with like getting chloe flowers in there you know also like you know he's getting like a live band to back him to 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 do a track you know also the uh just the visuals of the background uh the backgrounds for his uh sets were or his two songs were also just like much more in my opinion uh interesting and appealing um, so I'm going to give it to little baby. Uh, I'm going to give it to Sam Smith if for nothing else than for having Kim Petras come out of that dress, which I think is <laughs> hilarious and amazing and perfect. Uh, Steve, who's your <laughs> best musical guest? I'll give it to Sam Smith. Cause you know, that unholy song is, uh, it's, it's been a around a while, but it's, it's a bop. Like I, it, it, it's been used on the show all the way back to when Jack Harlow hosted, uh, you know, it's, it's that was what I think the first time I heard it. Actually, it's not exactly a, a debut. Uh, it's not like this is America or, or any other songs that like you didn't hear until it came on SNL. But uh, I think that's like of the performances. That's probably my favorite song of all six songs that were played. Well, let's talk about MVP. Kaz, who is it? Bowen Yang. Bowen. Uh-huh. That's right. I I. That's right. The one and only. I think that he, like I was saying before, every everything he was in, he was crushing. Even when he broke, uh, it was, you know, he's such a professional, uh, and he's so good at support that when he breaks, you know that like things have gone so far out. Uh, even when he breaks, it's funny. Every, I think every role that he was doing was just like incredible. I agree. I think. I think. It, I think the MVP is Bowen too because. I don't know. I, I, there's a definitely a case to be made for Ego, who had you know that one really standout moment and was you know obviously great and everything. But I think across the three episodes, Bowen was much more prominent and just really, really delivering left and right. Even you know from the, I think the first of the three is when he he debuted the George Santos impression. Um, 
which we love to see. So yeah, I think Bowen. Steve? I could say Bowen right now. You could. And you will. No, just, it'll just be <laughs> redundant. I'll, I'm going to say Ego. Yeah. Just because like, and, and I'm literally only thinking of one sketch, but it was just such a time. It was a hoot. <laughs> it was a holler. It was a real knee slapper. I don't know, man. I don't know. Like Sometimes that's enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there's something about that performance that is just like, it's, it's so rare to see uh, that level of power, you know, like these are all professionals. This is, they get paid to do this. This is their jobs. They go into work. They put in many hours and then it all comes down to this live show. And considering all that, these supposed professionals can't handle what Ego is throwing <laughs> down on the wobbly table. And nobody is, is, is spared. The whole, the whole place just goes up. And like, you can't do that. You can't do that unless you are the best of the best. The funniest of the funniest. Because that's what you're doing. You're making some of the funniest people in the world laugh this hard. When they're supposed to be behaving. <laughs> like yeah. need I yeah. say more alright well here's the big one across the three episodes on a scale of musty TV Sunday morning Peacock catch the highlights on YouTube or Saturday Night Dead Kaz how would you rate this run of three episodes okay we're gonna go backwards we're gonna walk we're gonna moonwalk this one um, we're gonna start with Pedro Pascal, we're going must see TV. Build a time machine and watch it live. Um, it's on fire. Um, even if you get trapped in the past, you got to see that live, and it's worth all of the time and effort that you put into uh, cracking the time space paradox. Now we're going back to, uh, we're going to go one more back to Michael B. Jordan. I think Michael B. Wait until Sunday morning. Um, there was some good stuff there, but. Um, overall, I think that if you happen to go to a birthday party or something, it's okay. You're going to get all the good stuff the next morning. Uh, watch it when you're hungover. Get some good laughs. It was pretty good. Now we're going to moon <laughs> jump back a little f- further. We're going to go to Aubrey Plaza. Man, I think you guys know how numbers work. We're going to number three. Catch the highlights on YouTube. There was some good stuff on that one. But overall, I think there were a few that I, you know, there were a few that were like, take it or leave it for me. So if you're just catching the highlights on YouTube, I think you're going to get the funniest bits. Uh, and you're going to get the best of Aubrey Plaza. Um, so the, I don't know. That's four choices, <laughs> so three we, episodes. If yes. we average those out, I yeah. would say the overall run of three would be Sunday Morning Peacock. Wow. I didn't know that. You know, you could have said there was an average. I thought I was supposed to be rating all these episodes on there well, lonesome. No. No, because you started, and then I was like, you know what? I actually like it. Let's oh, do that. Oh, so you say, you we know, normally don't, mm-hmm. but I like it. So yeah. you you've changed just, the show forevermore. I will not be doing. I like it. But, what? You no. Know, well, thank you, Catherine. I, I'm glad that somebody believes in me. Uh, you know, you know what? For these, I'm going to give you Saturday morning Peacock. If we're doing an average, let's go with Saturday morning Peacock. Saturday watched, morning Peacock. Wow, you're that's watching right. it in advance. We're going. That's we built the time machine. We built the time machine. <laughs> you're a week we're, late. We're bring, we built the time machine, we're downloading the episode, and we're going back to watch it before anybody else. That's how much I believe in this show. I think <laughs> these three episodes, okay. if, you gotta, if, you, if you have to average them out, I want you to see the entirety of episode 12. So we're going to binge all three Sunday morning. Fair. I'm waking you up Fair. at 6 a.m. I'm 
spilling coffee on your head and it's happening. All right. This is going down. This is the first thing I want your eyes to see. I'm going to open them up just like uh, a Kubrick film. All right. We're going to get some Maloko with my droogs and you're going to cram this comedy in your head and I'm going to quiz you on memorable lines later. So that's going to be my average right there. We love to see it. I, I'm admitted to say Aubrey Plaza, I would say catch the highlights on YouTube. There's a couple really good things in there, some weaker things. Michael B. Jordan, uh, I'm going to say Sunday Morning Peacock because I agree. They're, most of them were enjoyable. Uh, there weren't really any duds. Pedro Pascal, I would say must see TV if for nothing else than because Lisa from Temecula. That was something you, you still get the magic watching it after the fact, but it was that much more magic seeing it live. Uh, so on the whole, and because, you know, these, this was a little up and down, uh, these are in a range, I'll say Sunday morning peacock because, um, there, there's of the, of the three episodes, I think two of them, you want to see the whole thing. So yeah, Sunday morning peacock, Steve, where are you going to land? Uh, I feel like I want to go peacock, peacock must see, but like highlight peacock must see also makes sense. Right. But I think I was a little bit warmer on the Aubrey Plaza episode, or at mm-hmm. least found things to enjoy. Like, like I've never seen White Lotus, so Black Lotus was a little bit of a miss for me. Uh, but yeah, like I, I, I love the Catholic school announcements. I love the the Miss Universe. I loved uh, the monologue, and I loved the the taboo. So yeah, I think I think it's Peacock, Peacock. And then Pedro gets the, the must-see TV at the end. Which we average out to Peacock. I guess so. Yeah. Peacock so a unanimous. Peacock a unanimous without ads. Peacock. That's right. Without ads. We, we pay right. extra for no ads. It's, it's, these are good enough to splurge for no ads. So that's sort of like a three and a half out of four. <laughs> All right. So on the whole, uh, we're agreeing Sunday morning Peacock. This was a pretty solid run of three episodes, three first-time hosts that we all did uh, great work. We love to see it. Uh, but before we leave, Cass, thanks so much for being on the show. This was fun. Yeah, thanks for letting me ramble for three hours. I uh, really appreciated the invite. Loved it. Uh, you guys are great. Can't wait uh, to see this episode. And uh, yeah, do you uh, do you have anything to plug? Any shows coming up? Uh, uh, do I have anything to plug? In fact, I do. Uh, let me just get out my um, calendar of events here. Yes. So um, if you have speaking of YouTube, if you have it, um, I do have a show coming up with the Laugh Index Theater. It will be February 22nd at eight o'clock premiering on the Internet. You can go to litcomedy.com. And for a small fee, you very small fee, you'll be able to watch the show. I believe the first few tickets are free. So uh, seven tickets for seven tickets are free. There. So after party heads uh, get on it, I will be doing things uh, there. Um, I have, if you live in the New York area, my indie team, a series of unfortunate folks, will be having their show Feminish Saturday, March 4th at 7 p.m. at Players Theater. Uh, I unfortunately have a very small uh, negligible part in that, but I'm standing my team. I am on hiatus for that, from them. But anyway, the other thing at the people's improv theater at the pit loft wednesday march 8th at 7 30 boogie manja's cliffhanger which i write for we'll have our first show of the season i'd love to have you come out 
It's going to be great. We had a killer season last time. We have a new director this year, so it'll be interesting to see what directions we go into now. Uh, and I'd love to see all of you there, and you can tell me uh, to stop rambling. All right. Well, uh, if anybody wants to see more of me, I've got uh, a show called SpawnCon, where every sketch is for sale. If you love those sweet, sweet commercial parodies, come on down to the Brooklyn Comedy Collective on February 24th at 8 p.m. Uh, also, uh, We'll probably have another episode before this, but my show Social Commentary, which previously was at the Squirrel, will be at the Pit Loft. And, and now it's a full rockin' hour long, guys. And that's April 2nd at 6.30. And um, yeah, follow me at Catherine is Funny to see some new filmed sketches I'm working on. And yeah, that, that, that's what I've got going on. Steve, what are you up to? Oh, don't ask. Nothing. There's nothing going on out here. You think, we think we do comedy things? This this salty rock I live on. <laughs> oh, I forgot to plug my my uh, at thing at Misha Kaz M I S H A K A Z. Find me on Instagram. I'm there um, and other places, but that's where I mainly post. So, <laughs> all right. Well, this was fun, guys. Thanks for being here, and that is a wrap. Thanks to Steve Finn and Misha Kaz. And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Justin Gardner, Grace Kogan, and Brian Clark. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on YouTube or wherever better podcasts can be found. Your subscription helps us grow and your support is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in March to discuss SNL's next run of shows. But until then, this has been episode number 168 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm Catherine Coleman. That's my story. I'm sticking to it.